What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. One night, a guy uh, brake checked me on the back stretch and I run right into him. He took off and I commenced to chase him all the way around to the front stretch and put him in the wall. Told me to park it. I spun the tires up over the top of three and four and blew dirt all over the track and went in the pits, blew a donut in the pits. And that pretty much ended my year. And then I drove out across the top of the track with the late model race going. And then they threw me out for the whole complete next year. So we spin that baby over and now we've got a good sized fire and the flames are coming up and they're hitting the hood and they're going out, right? So I probably got 10, 12 feet of a flame there, you know? And then I'm saying to myself, we're gonna catch the highway on fire next. You know, I, I still remember this to this day. He took his coat off and he put it over the, over the engine and put the fire out. So he sacrificed a good Tremont 115 racing coat, put the fire out. Well, Dick, here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. If you ain't first, you're last. I was rocking the mullet. I was in really good shape. Oh, yeah, I was, I was, I was badass. And she knew it, you know. That's what I always tell her, you know. I took you out of the gutters of Saranac and brought you down to Hollywood Boulevard, Wiggletown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back, everybody. Hey. Uncommon deeds. Uncommon uh, haircuts. Yeah. Man, you're looking svelte. Well, to be fair, you see a very small portion of me in the Zoom camera. <laughs> and the least svelte part is luckily below the camera yeah i uh i got bored as i often do when i'm kind of at home for the winter especially through covid and all those times is i get a little cabin fevery and i get bored and yeah so i i shaved my beard for the first time in a few years man just figured i'll reset the face the beard will be back for the most part in about a week it's a blessing and a curse i can I can grow it right back on my face, reset, not my reset head. Reset the face. Yeah. Shave it off, exfoliate, have a grand time. But and and how was Allie's reaction to this? She said I looked shorter. <laughs> That's the strangest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was not rave oh. reviews. <laughs> the kids kind of liked it. There is no mistaking you and your kid's bloodline right now with, mm-hmm. I mean, you are baby face Corbett right now. Yeah. I let's go see what TJ says. Cause yeah. when he saw it the first time he was playing video games and he was kind of oblivious and we went in, I had my, one of my hats on backwards and Allie's like, ah, what do you think of daddy? He's like, why are you wearing your hat backwards? Like still, just look at his face, and he just started laughing. It's like, what'd you do that for? <laughs> and then, quick thinking, I'm like, I wanted to look like you, buddy. 
Yeah. Thank you so much, Daddy. And Allie yeah. just looked at me like, that's cheap. That's a cheap win. Whatever. Like, whatever, man. Win's a win. Take the win. Yeah, for him, that must be like looking in the mirror. Minus my lack of hair on top of my head. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. I'm with you. And I have a few more teeth right now. Uh Oh. (laughs) Right. Yeah, he's... The tooth fairy's come a few times recently. Yeah, you said you were going broke over there, huh? Well, there's many reasons for that, <laughs> which you know about, but we will. Uh, that's not for today. <laughs> uh, and we're going to try to keep it short and sweet because we have a good long pod. Yeah. Uh, oh boy, it's a good one for sure. Um, it's a little goofy at times, and it's funny and... Uh, above all, we get to hear from a guy that we nobody has seen or heard from in a long time, and it's the Rocket Man, uh, Roger Brown. And yes, we did not wait till episode ninety nine. Yes, this is only episode ninety six. We know. I thought of it after it was recorded. But let us whatever. be clear: we, well, it was a combination of us trying to and that person trying to plan. For a specific number, and we got cooked by that decision because it never ended up happening. It so never does. If it works out and we can work it out, then we do that. And a lot of times, if we can do that, it's because we record it ahead of time and we'll hold it. Yeah, for a week or two, so the numbers fit perfectly, or it's someone that we have very strong confidence in not flaking out on us. Right. But at this point, especially as we approach a hundred episodes and we talked about a couple weeks ago, it becoming a bit trickier than when we started in terms of getting guests and getting them lined up that we take it when we can get it. And yes, the matching numbers is cute and you know, clearly by this baby face, I like being cute, uh, but that's a hard pass on banking, banking on yeah. the right number. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, uh, you know, and luckily as we approach three digits, it'll be, you know, kind of take it out, out of our hands. Unless we get Roger Labresh for episode 100, I don't think we're going to match the car number with anybody, so. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe we can find a enduro racer. Mm, there we go. With a hundred. Nice. But yeah, this was so, a fun one. It uh, was. Learn some things. Well, I mean, I always learn some things more so than, than you do, but you well, learn some things. It, you know, but your your absence from racing and his career were almost identically the same timeline. Yeah, that's fair. You know, so you really never got to see him race maybe the first couple years of Tigers. Um, but then you were gone until early, what, 2010, 11, whatever Somewhere it was. around and, there, yeah, when I started doing stuff for Carl. And, and that's when he was done, getting done. So I always joke, I missed the Pembroke era. That's right. Yeah, you missed the Dave Pembroke era and the Roger Brown era. But Also true. 
that's that's cool that you got to hear these stories and um it was really great that he got to tell them so. yeah and i enjoy when you're surprised by stories you don't know yeah yeah for sure uh and there were a couple in here uh one in particular about being able to fit his finger in the separation of his sternum right <laughs> man I did not remember that wreck. So that was, uh, yeah. And I guess it happened 20 years ago at this point. Right. Um, so memories fade, I guess, but damn, listen to him describe that. You know, it doesn't fade over time, Justin. Oh, come on. The quality that Barry tile puts out. Ow, right there. And more pictures recently this week on Facebook. And I'm hoping that it's it's those guys picking up on how much you and I like to see the pictures and how much we talk about the pictures, so they're starting to put them out a little more frequently. Yeah. That's what I like to think. But another just absolutely gorgeous kitchen put together. Yeah, they do good work. Objectively, they do good work. Yes, they, they help pay our bills here, but it's spectacular. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm a fan. And they have only gotten better over time. You know, experience goes a long ways, and they have all the experience you need. And But you don't need to take our word for it because who the hell are we? I mean, if you look up home improvement specialists, my name's going to be pretty far down on the list. But I can see good work, and I can trust good work, and their work speaks for itself. Yeah, amen to that. I actually thought of Barry Tile and the Clark family um, several times during the recording with Roger Brown, and you'll find out why as we talk through the episode um, about his his first uh, Tiger car. So it was uh, it was kind of a neat tie in for us. Um, that really has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that Barry Tile is a sponsor of our show. <laughs> also a sponsor of our show. Uh, yeah. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service. Mm-hmm. Cold weather's here. Winter's mm-hmm. here. Snow is here. Mm-hmm. And we've had a lot of heavy snow mm-hmm. lately. That's, you know, 50% water. Well, technically all snow, I guess snow I guess is it's 100%. All, it's 100% water. You know, yeah. uh, I'll just so, move on. But yeah, uh, just, heavy well, snow, listen, so power outages. Yeah. Friday. That's where I'm going. I talked to Linda and I said, we need to call Ben Bushy. And let me tell you why. At 2 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, uh, a Costco truck was going by just a mile up the road here and the driver fell asleep and crossed the road and cleaned out a telephone pole and the entire town of Bridport lost power for 12 hours. Kirkland brand stuff everywhere on route Did 22A. you at least get to do some shopping? No, I thought about if there, if there wasn't so much traffic control, I would have looted a couple of printers, but uh, it was, it was daylight by the time I got through there and I couldn't, uh, couldn't snag any, but Listen, it was cold Friday. It sucked. 
having no heat, no hot water, uh, couldn't turn the lights on, couldn't take a shower. It absolutely sucked. And I said to Linda, I know a guy and I think it's time for us to start making some phone calls. So we've, we've got a couple extra bucks in the bank account right now. And I think it's finally time to make a call to Bushy's generator sales and service and take care of this freaking problem. And the good happening. And the good part about you making that decision right now. Yes. The timing is good. Is that from now until Memorial day, there we go. $500 off. So we're going to do it. I, I think that, uh, I think it's time. Um, because it just happens too often. And especially here on freaking 22 a, if you go down to devil's bowl, at least once a year, you're going to get stuck in traffic because there's a freaking tractor trailer off the road and they always hit the telephone poles. They always do it. And the power is always out for somebody. And it finally happened here for us. That's all the motivation we need. So Ben, we'll be calling you at least to get a quote and figure out what we got to do here. So Bushy's generator sales and service. Bang. Boom. Uh, but this week, Storytime is back, presented by ProHeat. Yeah. Couldn't be happier to have ProHeat back in the Uncommon Media family, and I guess tighter in the Uncommon Deeds family. And I'm glad we have someone who believes in Storytime and appreciate story time and is keeping Justin honest and making sure he does story time. Yep. It's definitely holding my feet to the fire. Um, but I am grateful that there is some support. I'm going to do it no matter what, but I could get away with skipping a week or two before. But now, now if, if I could only get him to, pressure you to have your story times ready before Monday night at 10 o'clock. Yeah. We'll be in, we'll be in good shape. Mm. I'll have to have you have a little conference with my daughter on that one, but uh, we're working on it. We had basketball today and that's part of the delay is I wasn't here to write my script, but uh, had the idea and had it ready and formulated everything while I was sitting in the bleachers watching just world-class bounce passes in the Middlebury Rec Center. Speaking, world-class Speaking of world-class, yeah. check out the No Fouls podcast this week, not to interject before story time. No, you got to do it. But uh, we got the man himself, Tom Brennan, on yes. this week, and it's stories galore, and we've talked about it for the last few weeks leading up to it. And if you're listening to this day, it comes out. So that's that episode will be out tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Tuesday and it is worth the listen. If you enjoyed, you know, our Ken Squire episode, I think this is kind of in that same vein. It's a rich history. It's fun, exciting stories. Please check it out and share it. Uh, Maybe I've been lacking a bit asking, you know, you people uh, to help share the word on No Fouls. And part of that is you guys do such an amazing job supporting this podcast that, you know, 
I don't want to bug bug you too much to do oh, it. Bug them to do it for another episode or another podcast. Come but on. I'm going to, you know, check out the Facebook page, No Fouls Pod, share it, like the page, do us a solid. This thing is is growing, and we want it to continue to grow. And especially with this particular episode, could you know open up? I think a lot of fans of the show. I mean, if you like the format of Uncommon Deeds, you're going to like the format of No Fouls. It's, I'm not going to say it's a carbon copy because that's not true and it's not fair, but it follows a very similar trajectory. And you really get into the meat and potatoes of where did you come from? How'd you get there? What'd you do and where are you going? The two podcasts are like fraternal twins. Yeah. They Much don't like look your own. Like, yeah. They don't look alike. One could be a boy, one's a girl. They're not identical, but there's a lot of a lot of DNA that matches. Yeah. That's fair. And I do I do like your comparison to Ken Squire with that. Um you know, it doesn't get bigger in racing in Vermont than Ken Squire, and it doesn't get bigger in basketball in Vermont than Tommy Brennan. Um, yeah, just give it a listen. I can't wait for it. Um, you played me a little clip a week ago or whatever it was, and it sounded great. And he was just, la- I don't even remember what he said because he was laughing through the whole thing, uh, which is absolutely a hallmark of Tommy Brennan. So, Looking forward to it. Listen to the No Fouls podcast on Wednesday. Now let us go ahead and roll in to story time presented by ProHeat. I'll be honest right up front. This one certainly is historic, but it doesn't end well. The invention of the horseless carriage, the automobile, was one of humankind's most notable achievements. An even better one, though, was the invention of the second automobile, because that meant we could race them. They say that racing came to Vermont in 1900 with events scheduled for fairs in Windsor and Springfield. To own an automobile at the time was to hold elite social status and the awe of virtually everyone. Only the wealthy and sophisticated were able to afford a car, and so seeing one up close drew a crowd. The idea of a race between two of them was wild. There are some articles that advertise both events ahead of time. The Windsor race was scheduled for August 23rd. But nothing has been found by me or any other Vermont racing historian that proves the race was actually held. The Springfield event was a two-day affair, scheduled for Wednesday, September 5th, and Thursday, September 6th. The Wednesday race was to be between two automobiles, but it was canceled just prior to the start because the steam engine car could not keep water in its boiler, and the gasoline car had trouble with its quote-unquote battery and spark device. A five-mile race was to be held on Thursday, but there are no known records of that ever happening either. It took three whole years for anyone to try it again. In September 1903, the Caledonia County Fair in St. Johnsbury scheduled two days of racing, Tuesday and Wednesday, for the automobiles owned by five local doctors and businessmen. A few of them, as was customary for many years in early motorsports, chose to have riding mechanics in case of trouble. Tuesday, September 15th, there were four races held, two laps each for a distance of one mile on the fairgrounds horse trotting track. There were three entries that made the call on Tuesday, and Dr. John Allen won three of the heats with his riding mechanic, Herbert Lamphere, aboard in each race in a time of two minutes, two seconds. And for two laps around a half-mile track, that's an average speed of 
29 and a half miles per hour. One of the heats, though, was won by a man named Edmund Folensby, who was driving a car owned by Dr. T.R. Stiles. He clocked in at 1 minute 54 seconds for a blistering pace of 31.6 miles per hour. The program of four heats took a couple of hours as each car required maintenance between the runs. On Wednesday afternoon, all five cars that had entered made the start for three heats, though a fourth one was postponed due to darkness because it took so long. Mr. Folensby won the first race with a slower time of 2.05 and a half. Photographer C.H. Clark was second in the first outing. Dr. Allen was third ahead of a Mr. St. Jock and a Dr. Aldrich. C.H. Clark picked up the win in the second run, turning a slightly slower time of 2 minutes and 6 seconds ahead of St. Jock, Folensby, Allen, and Aldrich. The third heat went to Allen and Lamphere at a much faster 158. St. Jock finished second, but a leaky boiler on his steamer forced him to retire from further action. Folensby, Aldrich, and Clark rounded out the running order. The fourth heat was pushed to Thursday at 10 o'clock in the morning. Nobody knew it at the time, but tragedy was about to strike. Dr. John Allen, who had been the most successful racer overall in the first two days, took the lead on the opening lap. He had been building a rivalry with Dr. Stiles in his car driven by Edmund Folensby, and he was focused on only one thing winning. In fact, overnight, Dr. Allen and Herbert Lamphere had removed the seat from their car in hopes of streamlining the machine for less weight and less wind resistance. Dr. Allen was even quoted by the Barry Daily Times newspaper as joking before the start that he would, quote, win the race or die in the attempt, end quote. Those words proved to be a bad omen for sure. The field rounded turns one and two and headed down the backstretch with Allen and Mechanic Lamphere leading. Just as they approached turn three, the car suddenly veered toward the outside, Dr. Allen apparently having lost control, perhaps while looking behind him to see where the competition was. The car caromed toward the outer edge of the track, hurtling through a fence and down a 12-foot embankment off the corner. The race was stopped immediately and the large crowd rushed as one hurried mob across the racetrack and over to the scene. When they got there, they were horrified to see the heaping, smoldering mess of the wrecked car, and that Dr. Allen and Mr. Lamphere had not only been thrown from the seatless vehicle, but also that a spectator, a local granite shed owner named French Carrick, had been struck. Carrick, who at the time of the crash was sitting on the fence that the car went through, suffered lacerations to his face, lost an eye, and had a broken leg. Dr. Allen was badly broken and was lying trapped under the car. He had snapped both legs above the knee and endured a dislocated shoulder, a broken nose, and a cut to the face. Early reports were that Dr. Allen, regarded as one of the top surgeons in Vermont, was not expected to survive the night. But then the most grim discovery was made. Herbert Lamphere, in fact, was dead. His body was described as a mass of bruises and broken bones, and he had no signs of life or chances of revival. The 25-year-old left behind a wife and a young child. Dr. John Allen and Herbert Lamphere were willing to risk everything to win that day, and they almost pulled it off. Unfortunately, Dr. Allen's words proved eerily prophetic, and less than a lap into the race, he was leading and then suddenly fighting for his life as his friends was lost. With a pall cast on the notion of automobile racing, there were no more competitions held in Vermont until 1907, when the Vermont State Fair in White River Junction took the chance. Thankfully, there were no incidents that time, and slowly but surely, the state once again embraced motorsports. 
This edition of Storytime on Uncommon Deeds has been brought to you by our friends at ProHeat. We are in the dead of winter here in the north, and if you're cold at home now, or if you want to get ready for next winter, ProHeat of East Montpelier, Vermont is the only call you need to make. With 21 years in business and more than 30 years of experience in the industry, the staff at ProHeat are constantly learning and evolving and ready to tackle any and every situation in a hurry and get it right. ProHeat is a one-stop shop for sales, installation, and service of furnaces, oil tanks, gas, oil, electric, and hybrid water heaters, cold climate heat pumps, Renai space heaters, gas and oil boilers, and much more. For more information, visit ProHeat on Facebook or call the East Montpelier office at 802-479-9330 or you can call Michael John Massetti directly at 802-272-0964. Professional, reliable, on-time ProHeat. Now, let's get into this week's episode of Uncommon Deeds. In 2007, the stock car racing world went, who the hell is Roger Brown? But we already knew up here, and uh, it's a great story. But we kind of don't know where he's been, and that's what we kind of want to know and figure out. And and uh, I know that we're going to get some good stories along the way. But we get the 2007 Oxford 250 winner, the Rocket, Roger Brown, here on Uncommon Deeds. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah, it's been a long, it's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah, we're uh, hiding up here in the northern Hampshire woods. That's not all bad. No, no. We we went from an exciting life to a fairly boring one in a hurry, but we like it that way. That's good. As someone with three tiny children, I can really appreciate boring from afar. <laughs> it didn't really go to boring. We... uh we we got done racing or whatever. My son was a ten, just starting into that in that stick and ball sports age and stuff like that. So we uh, we spent well the rest of his until he well he's graduating from college this spring. So we've been he's been playing baseball ever since. So we uh, we did travel baseball every summer, all summer. Um, we traveled him and I traveled from the whole East Coast from Maine to Georgia. Um, playing baseball, so it was. It's been a good time. That just seems like, from parents I've talked to, the traveling baseball team just seems brutal for the parents. Just sitting out in the sun for randomly long games. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good way to put on, you know, forty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> sit, in your, sit in your lawn chair, and, and then when you get done there, you go to dinner and, and you know suck on keg beer for two hours so it's it, yeah yeah it was hard on the waistline in the wallet for yeah when you think you think racing's expensive that that was uh yeah, but it was it was worth it there's times that you the experiences that we had traveling together as a uh, father and son and and heather it was uh you know you can't those those things you can't they can't really put a price tag on them so hell yeah yeah absolutely. let's uh let's start with you though when do you remember motorsports coming into your life um, early teens, I guess. Uh, my dad raced at, uh, they raced at Riverside in the seventies. Um, I did, and he got done racing long before I could ever remember, but, um, and then my parents were really good about, about helping us as kids, right. Giving us opportunities. And I got two older sisters and they were into horses. And so as a, as younger, I, I had to, I had to kind of tolerate that, you know, being the being the youngest but when it was my turn we my my dad got me into racing and gave me an opportunity and we uh god i think we built a four-cylinder i was 14 um 
Cody Welch helped me. He was going out with my sister at the time. And, uh, and then we, we raced at Riverside for, that's where we started out. Your family's into logging, right? Trucking. Trucking. Yeah. My, my dad's in the trucking and then, and my, his, his whole family was, they grew up in, you probably don't know what this were Granby, Vermont, which is, I mean, you're talking the smallest of smallest towns. I mean, yeah. still has only, you know, it's dirt roads for 15 miles to get to it. So they all, that's all they did is logging and farming. Did any of that rub off on you? I mean, were you, were you kind of dragged into the shop at an early age, changing brakes on a big friggin' diesel truck or were you? Yeah. Well, it, it was, it? yeah. Well, it was more of, you know, you know, as a kid, you growing up where I did, it was, you either, you either logged or, or worked on them, you know? So I tried to log in thing when I was in high school for a while and, and it was, this just wasn't for me. So I, I, I turned out working on stuff was a lot, was a lot more fun. Racing at 14 um, is pretty exciting, right? I mean, it's, there's a big difference between 14 or 16 or, you know, 14. That's, that's a whole big friggin' world right in front of you. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. So it was, you know what, you know, and then we didn't know anything, right? We didn't know, we didn't know anything the year before. I went racing my, we, we decided to, you know, race. My dad was trying to get us into it. Right. So he, uh, he had sponsored, uh, Bert Gilbert. You remember Bert raced at Riverside, whatever he sponsored him. And, and yeah. cause Bert worked on this truck and stuff like that. And then, and then he, he sponsored Randy, um, with really, I think, I don't know the whole backwards deal of it, but I think it, when he sponsored Randy, it was more, he would give Randy money and, if we, him and I, my father and I could go with them so I could be a part of it and kind of see what was happening and, and that kind of thing, which, you know, which is eye opening. Um, and Randy was a great guy to be, to be around at that time. Cause you know, I mean, and, and that was, when was that early nineties, I guess, mid nineties, mid nineties, I guess he, uh, you know, he was king at Riverside absolutely for, for a long time. So, um, and it was good to see how uh, someone was like him was treated and the respect he got and how his crew did and that kind of thing. Were you nervous first time out or were you dumb oh, terrified. teenager? Terrified. I, I, I the one thing I remember to this day was pulling out of the track, the first practice and I'm out there. I felt I was by myself. Right. And I'm going, I thought I was setting the world on fire. And I, a group of cars went by me so fast. I, was, I mean, I, I was literally freaked me right out. I was like, holy crap, I can't go that fast, right? I mean, how are they doing it? I mean, I had, and that was how far we were from from being competitive. I mean, we had no idea what we were getting into. Was that car or was that driver? Oh, driver all day. All day. I had no idea. I mean, I had driven only driving i had done was a back roads and an old cgj cj5 jeep you know um that was not uh that was it was just the speed like you you did i didn't realize how fast you really could go how long did it take to kind of figure out how to get all the way through that learning curve well i mean i raced until i was 28 so about that long (laughs) oh it was it was a while. I mean, it, it, it went by quickly, obviously. And, you know, you, we just, and, and honestly, I spent two years driving a four cylinder Riverside and that was terrible. It was terrible. 
I admit it. I was terrible. I had, and and then I was gonna, I honestly was like, oh, I'm good. Right. I, 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 you know, Courtney started racing, I think my second year. So I, that was pretty much all my help. And then I had buddies from school and we didn't know what we were doing either. It was more of a, a reason to, you know, to drink some beers and, and have a good time. And, um, I was actually, after two years, I was going to stop. I was like, oh, I'm done with this. Right. I grew up. I was always a firm believer. If I can't win, I don't want to play. And, and I didn't feel like I could even be competitive, but I'm like, I'm not going to do this. You know, I'm not going to be this, you know, I'm not going to be a 50, 55 year old man someday that has raced his whole life and never done anything. My God, it was over that winter. My, my dad convinced me to like, Oh, let's do it one more year. Let's, let's try a strictly stuff. Let's convince me to do it. So we bought a, I remember going with some buddies of mine and him and David Robinson. And there was a bunch of them. And we picked up a couple of cars over, I think near Crassberry near Paul Hodgson's place. And uh, brought him back, and and I built a the Buick Regal into a strictly stock, and then we ran that the following year at Grofton. And it kind of the same. I just wasn't competitive at first, and I uh, the really the turning point for that was I I had I was just frustrated with it, right? I was like I didn't want to stink at this, right? I'm like I just I don't like being good at nothing, you know. So uh, I was working for Bert Gilbert in his garage. Uh, Lancaster in high school. That's what I did after school. Um, and Bert's like, I'll bring the car out, bring the car out. And I brought it out one day. And I, I never forget it. We brought it in there and he had these old, um, like jack and posts. Like you put it, you put the, you put it under the wheel, pull the handle down and it'll give you the weight. That's how we weighed the car. And you pick, you could pick the tire up off the ground with this little post. This is, this is some backwoods seven post jig kind of shit. Oh, like it was like a bumper jack, you know, what a bumper jack looks like, look just like the same thing. You pick the wheel up and they give you the wheel weight. And that's how we set the car up. And we went to the riverside that weekend and I won. And I, have no, I think it was just shit luck, to be honest with you. But, um, and after that, it was once it, it, you could see it, like once you saw that it, it, I saw it, it could happen. Um, it was a completely different, different deal after that. How was the atmosphere at Groveton for a young teenager trying to figure out how to get out of his own way? Oh Jesus. It was uh it was a good atmosphere to 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 get into drinking. <laughs> I mean, I will I'll never forget it. I mean, God, there was there was a lot of cars back then. When I when we I remember as a in the four cylinder days where they were sending cars home. There was so many the second year I ran, they were running two features because there were so many cars that they didn't want to send home. I mean, it was loaded. It was loaded with cars. I mean, you had, I mean, Derek Ming was racing it. Uh, Corey Mason, some of the names you guys would know. Kenny Marrier. Kenny Marrier. Yeah, yeah they were running those, and it was it was loaded with vehicle, with cars. And then I Jeff, went. To, Jeff Marshall was good, too, in those Jeff things. Marshall, excellent. Yep. yep. And it was just loaded with competition. It really was. I've, in the, I've always the, said Groveton is, is the home of the four cylinders. Oh God, yes! They should be the premier division. I believe yeah. that, and it's a great and it and it, for Riverside is a great track for that kind of racing. It yes. really, is. it just it, it plays well to that style. Okay, so I mean that's the turning point with Bert and your champion the next year, right? Yeah, well, I uh, that that was my senior year in high school, um, so that I when I graduated. Um, in September, 
I left uh, like a week later to go to college in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I went to Nashville Auto Diesel College down there, and it was a, it's a year program. The year of that was what, 90, 98, I guess. I graduated. I graduated ninety seven. So it's been ninety eight Nashville, <clears throat> and then I came back, um, and then uh, we ran Strictly's. I ran for Shane Carr. You remember Shane Carr from Lancaster. I remember seeing the name on your car and several I, others. I raced his car, uh, which actually was Quinny's car. They had bought Quinny's Strictly stock. He won the championship with, and I ran that. And we won the championship that following year in dominant fashion. We won a ton of races. I lapped the field in a hundred lap race um, at Riverside. Um, that we were super good. That's a hell of a turnaround. Yeah, yeah. And then things got. Well, when we, my old man was kind of out of it. I guess he didn't really own the car. He didn't really like that all much. He liked being more involved. So. Um, we went to uh, Williamstown and bought Johnny Clark's, that green Monte Carlo Tiger he had. Because Johnny had built a new car. We bought that. And then I raced that at Grofton. And then we went to Thunder Road the following year uh, with Tigers. Tigers were an absolute hoop. You know, we could win. We, we won all the time in those things. Loved yeah. it. You know, there was really good cars, same thing. There was super good cars there. John Donahue was super dominant when we went started running those. He was running them, and he was excellent. He was a car to beat every time we unloaded. So what is the journey to Thunder Road kind of for that first trip? And you're this guy coming in just kicking ass. How did that go over? Not well. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how well you the the group at Thunder Road back then, but whew, we uh yeah we came in and of course it it was it was Johnny Clark's car man the car was it won at Thunder Road every all the time prior right it wasn't I was some rock star but car was just super good and to get a group of friends and we just had a had actually earned a group of friends that actually loved racing and we were we were we started to learn together on how to do it and i mean i remember everybody got their uh got their motors built at pizza galley so pizza galley is that my announcing that correctly yeah so he did them and uh so we had won i think we won second third race out something like that we had won and then we finished second the following week and so we went into tech and Dean Gallison come out and he's like, let's not take his personal, but there's way too many people here pointing fingers at you. So I'm going to find something. And I'm like, well, you're not going to find anything. Like I'm not doing anything. Oh, I'll find something. So he still, he took our intake off the car. There was uh there was wire brush marks on the inside of it because it's a stock, you know, stock intakes, right? Out of junkyards or whatever. So, you know, Pizzagalli cleans them up. Well, he cleans them up with a wire brush. And, I mean, and Dean, Dean had said, he's like, I have to find something. Like, if I don't, we don't find something, is we're going to have a riot in the Tiger class. So, oh, yeah, found us illegal that night on nothing, absolutely nothing. We were there. I mean, this is, I mean, I worked construction at the time. So, and traveling in, uh, yeah, I think we we never pulled out of the pits until after one in the morning on a Thursday night. You know, it was it, they were, yeah, it was it was contentious, and it was funny though. He was absolutely right because after that, it was crickets. 
everybody you fit in everything was fine welcome to thunder road yep there we go and it was all clear after that for a while anyways did they rough you up at all or were they just bitching that you were fast they're just bitching because you're winning right you come from riverside nobody cared about riverside yeah yeah right besides that riverside was always that playground with the you know where it felt like the guys from thunder road or whatever in that scenario they should come over and take your money yes Yep. It was always that way. Growing up, watching them um, over there, I mean, the late model guys the same. They'd come in, you know, and they'd take the money, right? And all the late model dresses. I mean, honestly, I think that's how I the late model division got kicked out of them, out of, out of growth, and just because of that, right? Because people would just complain instead of trying to beat them. Tigers were no different. I mean, I remember, and honestly, that's some of the 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 main a lot of main drive of my drive was of racing was because I. I remember it running strictly stocks or whatever. Cooper McCritchie would come to Riverside and he'd pull in and he'd stand in the pit lane and you could just see it. Everybody around him was just like, Fuck, we're fucking racing for a second. <laughs> right? Yeah. It was instant. Everybody yeah. looked at racing for a second. Yeah. I saw that and I'm like, God, I want that so bad. Right? That's what I wanted. I wanted people to know that they're racing for a second. If I pull into a racetrack, you know. And it was impressive to see. Like I, I just loved it. But so when someone, when we started doing whatever, we went over there, and it was, I mean, it was no, I, it, there's no skill involved. It was just fortunate, right? We had a good car, and the car ran well there, so we didn't change anything. You know, we we, we updated it with the body, so it didn't look like a green Camaro. You know, nobody knew any different, and they didn't know me. And you know, we just went over there, and, and Thunder Road in a Tiger car, you could be super aggressive. It's just the way the track raced, you know, a tiger car. If you hustled it there, you could be, you could do well. And it fit my driving style pretty well. So, and we, we won just one races. Everyone we talked to always raves about how much fun the tiger tour was. Did you have as much fun getting to travel around a little bit? Yeah, it was a hoot. Yeah, it was a hoot. We got to go to, well, we ran at Plattsburgh and, Plattsburgh and a Tiger was was especially coming from Thunder Road and Grosin. I mean, that was a it was a super eye opener. It really was. It's like the going sp- to Talladega. Yeah, the speed was good, and and the cars kind of floated, right? So you kind of felt that. And back then, they had you know they were open rear end cars, so you, you just I mean you melt the right rear tire all the way around it, you just hammer it right. It was it was super fun. A lot of braking, and the cars didn't have brakes. Right, the brakes were terrible. Um, and then we ran at Canaan with the Tiger Tour. We went there. We ran. I don't know like places we ran. I don't remember where we go, but yeah, it was a it was a really good time. We won it. I won at Canaan in a in a Tiger Tour race. Um, I mean, there was a stretch we ran. I think we won four races in a row. Two Thursday nights, the Canaan, the Grofton. Yeah, um, you beat up on them. Yeah, that was, uh, I think probably 2002. I don't have my notes right in front of me, but yeah, I, I think it was your second year at Thunder Road. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was, and like I want to go back to what you said earlier about the Thunder Road guys would go to Groveton and just take their money, right? But there was sort of this small little movement of you and Reno Gervais and the Calkins brothers coming from Groveton and Brendan Moody and coming to Thunder Road, and you guys took all of our money. Yeah, absolutely. There was just a big, there was a big difference there. There was a big change. Yeah. 
But I remember, you know, when I ran three stocks and stuff, there was nobody at, at Grofton and the Tigers. That, I mean, Dave Robinson really dominated Grofton and a Tiger car for a long time. And yeah. he couldn't leave Grofton and go and do anything. Right. And, and even when the Tiger, even, you know, the, cause Johnny, Johnny Clark and Cooper, McCritchie or whatever, they would come over, Jimmy Young. Right. And they were, they, he would always run second, third, fourth to them, you know, and, uh, it, that kind of changed, you know, and I think Arena had a lot to do with it. I mean, he was really the first one because he was there before I was. Um, and Reno went over there and did excellent. He really did. Kind of opened the door for those guys, for us coming from Grofton to say, hey, you know, we can actually go over here and do this. 100%. You kind of, I mean, you didn't win a championship, but you kind of couldn't do any more in the Tigers, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, my draw, I, I could never win championships. <laughs> I just Why not, Roger? God, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't. Ra- I kept wrecking. I, I, I'm not a points racer at all. Like I, the last thing I think about is points. You know, and you know, is like I look at that position and say, well, you know, if I have to, I'm passing for six. I don't care. I want, I want fifth or right. Instead of taking a good points night, I'll, you know, I'll end up wadding it in the fence or get fifth. That's just who I was. Like I, and I, I looking back on it, I wish I did. I probably should have done it differently, but. But yeah, the Tiger thing that was as, that was as good as we were going to get. You sort of embraced that persona, though, right? You had the brightly colored fire suit, and the car was painted cool, and you tore the fenders off it, and you know it was it was fun to watch you. And fans fans kind of paid attention to the Tigers because of guys like you. Who I mean, you even got booze a couple of times in the Tigers, which that doesn't really happen too often. No, yeah, it was. I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. It, it was fun. At Riverside, when nobody paid attention, right? When you go to you go to Thunder Road and everybody's watching, right? I mean, they, you go to a Thursday night and the place is loaded. You know, there's loaded. It's wall to wall, wall to wall fans, and they get into it. Whether it's a you know whether it's a four cylinder race or the the late models or the you know Bush Norris there, or, you know it doesn't matter. They're into it. Fans are into it, right? And and it was it was cool. And you get out there and, and they they rewarded you, I think, for your you know, for your drive, right? If you go out there and you pass cars and you hammer and, you know, you get the victory lane and half your cars miss them, man, they love that shit. But the place is going wild. So, and yeah. vice versa, you know, you probably took the fenders off their driver driver. So then, you know, they kind of, they boo you a little bit, but. Now, no one's ever been accused of getting rich driving Tigers, but. You pick up a lot of wins. You said you had six in a row at one point. Did that kind of make it a little easier to make that jump and decide it's time to try your hand at a late model? To be honest with you, no. No, I, I didn't want to at the time. I uh, The whole late model thing came from uh, – we were up the riverside on a – there's like a triple crown race. So you ran a triple crown Tiger Series. So we were up the riverside racing in uh, – at that time, there was a group of late model drivers at Grofton that were kind of putting a little late model thing together. It was more of like club racing, I guess, right? There was yeah, the, the, the Nita tour. A handful of them. They had five or six cars up there, and they were dumbing around occasional Saturday nights or whatever. Well, Bert Gilbert had a was up there racing, and he had a late model that he had acquired, and he headed up there for somebody to race, somebody to run, to test it, and practice whatever to sell, right? So the guy ran it, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, so the guys come up to me and they're like, Hey, you want to, you know, we need, you know, want an extra car. So they had like seven or eight, I think they had eight, I'm going to call it eight cars. So they had like, and, and they, Hey, you want to run Bert's car? And I'm like, I ain't run a late model, right? I've never been, you know, no, no. Well, the boys are like, Oh my God, you should do it. My buddy Pat was, man, he was like, God, oh, this is a chance. This would be cool. So we talked me into doing it. So we get it all said and done. I'm like, listen, I'm not going to make weight. I mean, Bert had, this is being nice. He probably had 150 pounds on me. I'm like, this isn't going to be, they're like, ah, whatever, right? You're not going to win it anyways. So uh, we started last in their 35 lap race. And uh, when we took lap two, I was leading. <laughs> and, and so I have a big rack and it was just <laughs> shit locked. Get locked. It was a, there was a rack and they could all stove up. <clears throat> and I had passed two or three cars and everybody else pitted. So here I am leading the race. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So we took off. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to stay here. Right. I led the whole race. We took the white. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I can't go to tech. So we, they took the white and I put her in the pits. And uh, <laughs> I got a bunch of crap over that. Well, then the biggest that my, my dad had heard about that. And that was that's all it took. We finished out the season that year. Um, we ran that burst late model went in a need to race at Riverside. Um, and uh, God, we ran ran from 15th up to wherever I'm in pack or whatever. We ran up into the top five and ended up breaking. I think we lost a clutch or something stupid, but um, so the guys were like, Oh, we have to get a late model racing, and I would no, I had no interest. I really didn't. It was like, God, this we have got this Tiger thing figured out, man. But the guys aboard. I mean, what did you do? You show up at the racetrack, and I mean, Pat was out there like wire brushing the tires and stuff like that, and covering stuff up just so just to see if people would watch what we were doing. If they would copy him, it was just, anyways. <clears throat> so uh, we decided to like, we put it on the Tiger on the market and uh, Tabor Gagne. Yeah. Um, you know, he's in Vermont, no, Vermont, no, Burlington somewhere. He had got a hold of me and, uh, and we did a trade. I swat, we did a dead trade, my car, my car for his late model. And no shit. How, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He called me. It was a dead trade. And he kept, there was no motor in it, but he kept, there was no motor in it. And it didn't matter anyways, that, that they had just switched spec engines were just switching at that time. So, yep. Well, for not having any interest in late models, you choose to go straight to the tour. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, there was no other. There was honestly, to, to be honest with you, there was. I can't say there was no other option, but um, there was Thursday nights. You were, well, I had Thunder Road. That's all I had. Grofton didn't really have anything. You know, they didn't have late models, full time late model racing. Um, so, and then you had white mountain, I could, you know, but we didn't really, you know, we had been racing at Thunder Road and I, I was, I was super specific. I was really good there in a tiger car. So we decided to, we were going to run Thursday nights in the tour. That was our, that was our big plan. Um, and that was, that was way out of our ball, our ball park. Ambitious. Well, we we didn't know what the hell we were doing, man. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, we had a Tiger car that was set up. It was, what do you do to it? I mean, I think 
I mean, we, I worked on a car and it never broke down, but other than I think outside of Johnny's setup, other than I changed, I ended up changing when the left rear spring and that car, that was the only thing I ever did to it. And the tiger cars at that time were stagger, right? I mean, they were open rear end and you, you could, it was more tire thing. It was more tires than anything else. Um, so we, uh, so when we went to late malls, we just had no idea. We took this car and that was trash. The car was garbage. Tabor never ran for shit in it. It was a Rich Lowry car originally. He never ran for shit in it. Um, and and, and they, we just had no clue. So we unload it. You know, you unload a river set, Thunder Road, you know, open day, car show, tour race. <laughs> yeah. 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 We qualified. I made the race. But then that was a feat, I guess. Um and it we it was a it was a massive struggle, and I say a massive struggle. I can't even can't even put it in words how hard it was for people. We just didn't know. I do a lot of notes to prepare for these shows, and you just said the word struggle. And in two thousand three, the first note is ACT Rookie of the Year, which is cool. But the second note is struggled hard for most of the year. Seven DNFs in fifteen starts. And it was still the handicapping era, and you started on the pole four straight races. Yeah. That's that's not a great stat line for you. We were terrible. Yeah. I was a I mean, we just didn't know. I mean, we were and then it and it was it was in a weird um it was just in it it was in that era when they we was they were still running they had a a dollar amount shock rule at the time. They had the spec motor thing was really fresh. It was new. Um, I mean, I think they had been running them for X number of years for maybe a handful, but it was still really new. Um, and then we just, we just had no idea what we were doing. I had none. I mean, we halfway through the season and we, I, and, and I felt like, I, I swear, I, I, I swear to God, every driver that I raced against had to wreck me one time. It was like, I felt like it was hazing. It, just, <laughs> it was horrible. It was horrible. And we rack and we run on Thursday night and get all stolen shit. And then you work your ass off on Friday, you know, to get to a tour race on Saturday and, and, and then wreck it again. And it was just, it was endless. We had given up Thursday nights after I, after I separated my sternum on pit wall, we decided to stop racing Thursday nights. And that was better, right? Cause we, we had more time to work on the car. Um, so um after we clipped it because of that um which we did ourselves i mean like, we did everything ourselves we never i will take a lot of pride in what we did as a team i mean my buddy pat and at the time uh rick uh ricky bovin and nick demers came on and helped me in a tiger car right and then pat reynolds him and i are i mean he's my bestest of friends now and has been for a long time but we we just didn't know Right, we all learned together, and and I mean, the after we we had clipped the car and we put it back together, and we were still trash, and, and then we about halfway through the year, I think, and um, Chris Fisher was helping us with shocks, um, and he was talked to him. I think he he was the first one to mention Roll Center to us, so I measured it. We measured it one night in the garage with uh with chalk lines and, and and string and it was outside the garage 
Our role center was out. <laughs> we're like, oh, well, that ain't good. So we got it inside. We actually got it in the car. The role center actually stayed in the car. And uh, we ex- we made we made progress after that. We ran better. Uh, we we did okay towards the end of the year. We just kept it was stupid stuff, but but we just didn't pay for it. We never paid for it. We never brought it to a shop. We never took it to Race Basics and said set this thing up and we're going to race it. No way. We never did that. Which not, probably would have been cheap in the long run, but not to glaze over anything, but broken sternum was yeah, mentioned. I don't remember this. And that seems yeah. like something that wouldn't be inducive to driving a race car afterwards shoved well, into a seat. What happened was is we were it was a qualifying race, the road, obviously. And I was on the outside playing defense. Obviously I was always playing defense. And I got smoked into the Widowmaker by Dennis Demers. And uh, when I came down off the wall, the pan out bar broke. So when I come down off the wall, the back of the car is just bouncing side to side, side to side. And I'm turning the wheel, right? I'm like, I'm putting the wheel to it. And it just kept going straight. Like if I turned the wheel to the left, the back of the car just went left. The, the car kept going straight. So <laughs> well, when I, when I exited off turn four, I was going straight towards pit grandstands. And when it, it just kind of flew when I come off the bank and it just, I took air and I, I landed at the, at the base of the wall in front of the pit grandstands. When I did my, of course, the shoulder, my shoulder belts or whatever, I didn't run that sternum strap that kept them together. When I said I kind of come out of it and it separated my sternum enough, I could stick my finger in it. Oh no. Yeah. That was awesome. It hurt to laugh for a while, right? It's like, you know, being that they, you, oh. you're, diaphragm my diaphragm would expand and you start i'd start coughing no it was it was wicked good time yeah okay what time of the season was that i was mid-season and you kept going oh god yeah well so we fixed it we clipped it then we went home the car or the sternum no no i never i I never i I just love it there's nothing to do about it so um we went home we got home and we clipped it that friday um and we we had it done and we were in waterford for a race on saturday that got rained out thankfully because the car was we weren't really ready um but yeah we come home we just decided like man we just i couldn't do thursday nights just couldn't do it like it was killing us killing us killing us um we we i mean this there there are excellent teams you know teams that are uh experienced and prepared and to run thursdays and saturdays are hard to do then you know for them for them and for us it was impossible impossible were you guys getting discouraged at this point or was it just head down grind away you know the funny part about it is is we um (laughs) i can't i can't even tell you how many times we were at a racetrack and we laughed and we were i went to racetrack and we're we're ready to fucking call it quits right we're i mean we're going home and hanging ourselves on the rafters and it ain't halfway home and Pat and I would just start talking and what can we do to fix it? How can we be better? What can we do to get it better? Right. And it was, it was a turning point at some point. The, that was probably the following year. I think after that first year, um, where we, we kind of, we kind of realized that if, you know, if we were going to be successful, we had to really had to focus right and stop, stop using it for a reason to drink. 
really. That's what it turned into, right? Yeah. It was a reason to get together with the boys and have beer at the garage. And and Pat and I just kind of, this is what we're going to do. We're going to stop using it, doing that. And we're going to focus on getting better and winning, figure out a way to compete in a late model. So, but it was, it was, it was hard. We went to little guys 100 at the end of that year and ran really well. We had run well at, at Oxford in an ACT race there. I think in, I don't know, it was uh, September, August. We ran pretty well, ran ourselves up front and then faded late, but. You did, I mean, you did grab a top five in the milk bowl too. That first yeah. year. Yep. I mean, there were, there were signs that things were getting better. I guess getting the roll center inside the garage yeah. is part of it, right? Yeah, that was a that was huge. That was huge. We didn't even know what Center was, dude. We, like, we were so lost. We didn't know. And we, you know, my dad supported us um financially and stuff, but you know, he didn't he didn't know, right? I mean, he he raced strictly stocks, basically enduro cars in the seventies. I mean, he was so nobody knew and, and we just, you know, we didn't have anybody to to go after and 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 it was it was what it was. But when we got it, it was ours. Right. It was nobody, nobody gave it to us and nobody had what we had. So there was nobody oh, yeah. even that you could ask for advice when you're nobody. at the races. You're just no nope. lone wolf in it. I will say, I mean, Pat was, um, you, I don't know if you know Pat. Pat is the, he's the most likable person that I've ever been around. And he's very good at meeting people and getting people to tell him things that they don't want to tell him. He was just really good at that. And I was not, I'm not a people person at all. It's really, so Pat just kind of picked up on stuff and see this, see that. And, and like I said, Chris, uh, Chris Fisher helped us cause he was, uh, had just gotten, he was, I think he really got into building shocks and doing that kind of thing. So yeah. Ones, right? Yeah. So we'd bought shocks from him. Right. So he helped us, right. He gave us some advice and he was the one that told us about the roll center. Right. And then we got that in there and then, um, so it was, it was a long, that 0-3 season was painful, to say the least. Okay, but 0-4 wasn't. I mean, it no. had its bumps. Oh, yeah. No, all had I bump. mean, for God's sakes, you won a tour race. Yeah. Yeah, we were, we were really good. For a, the biggest thing is, so we go into, we go into 4 right? And we're convinced at one point in time, I'm convinced that there's no way we can do this, right? This, we don't have the money. And I use all the excuses that I've heard. I heard from everybody. I heard it from Randy. I heard it from people that race the Riverside, right? That uh, these other teams, they have financing. They have they have full-time help. They have blah, and they have blah, and they have blah. And I'm like, uh, to, you know, well, the, I think the, the, really th- the thing that helped us the most, we went to 04, is when Tom had – they put in the Coney shock rule and that really simplified it for us. Right. So now we go into 04 and everybody's running the same shocks and they're all new to everybody. And that leveled some of the playing field. It made it easier. Right. I mean, when I first come, we first came into the tour, the tour's fairly watered down. I thought as far as, but there was two guys that could win. I mean, it was Gene and Todd Stone and that was it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. That was it. And there was nobody else. Everybody is, you had a group of cars that were, that were competitive in the middle. Right. And then, it, and then you had 
you know, your, your 10th to 20 place cars. And that was, it was it like it was, but that really changed it. that the, the shock rule really changed and, and opened it up. And we were fast, fast. We were fast. I mean, we, we would win practice every week. We'd go out there and win practice and then fade 30 laps into the race. <laughs> and then it was just, it was a learning thing. You learned how to, I spent my entire all three season on defense, you know, trying not to get run over. That's all I did. I was trying not to get run over. And then, you know, then you had this a completely different thing. You had to learn how to race, you know, learn how to race around cars and, and learn how to be competitive. Did you feel at that point a shift in terms of people accepting you there and seeing you as kind of one of the guys and not in a competition to see who can dump you first? Yeah, I, I felt like we, we gained some respect. Um, I think the biggest person and the person I wanted the respect the most from was, was Tom. And he, I saw it in spots. He, he came down that, that the second year when we were fairly quick and he started giving me his Tom Curley tutelage, which cost me a lot more than I think it helped me most of the time. But, uh, once I, once he started seeing it and I could see it, you know, I could see that he saw it. And uh, you could you instantly saw it from the racers around you. So, what's the emotion both from you and from him when you pull into victory lane at Waterford? That was intense, man. Yeah, that was, was intense. It was the same thing. We we had a race that we had won and lost, and, and then won again. I mean, we we dominated practice, and that was we dominated practice. Started up front, led a bunch of laps. Um, and faded, and then Gene and Gene and LaPearl were fighting for the lead. I was running. I think I had dropped to like fourth at the time, late in the race. And uh, they got together and both got flat tires. And then Brent Dragon and I had a shoot at a two lab shootout, and it was that was intense. Um, and you've been to Waterford, yeah. And Brent had won there the previous time that the yeah, tour was Brent- at Waterford there and uh i we were side by side for the first lap and uh the second lap going coming to the checker going into turn three he slammed me in the right in the door and drove me up the racetrack and i i swear i never lifted out of it we were ass sideways over his hood when i crossed the front to start to cross the, the finish line and uh it was excellent it was crazy tom was i mean that was honestly the first time that Tom had made his own trophy. He had trophies made because Waterford didn't do trophies. So the next following week in the pit meeting, he's like, oh, the place don't do trophies. And he really deserves a trophy. <laughs> so, yeah, it was awesome. That was, we just, it was always an event. Every time we did something, it was an event. We left there. Of course, it's late. We left there and we get on 93, just got on 93 North and his traffic's backed up. Dart comes down with a helicopter. There's a huge crash, right? They landed the helicopter right in the interstate to take people away. It was forever. Forever. I think we rolled in. We rolled in. We was like, oh, we're going to go home. We're going to have a beer. I think we rolled into the shop at five that next morning. It was, uh, it was, it was unbelievable. But, but yeah, we ran. The, we were in really good in 04. We just... And we didn't, could never really put our finger on it why we faded so bad. 
Um, that took a while. Man, that took a while. I don't think we ever figured that out until 06, to be honest with you. Hmm. But, yeah. Could you appreciate the win when it happened, or did it take some time to be removed before you could say, holy crap, that was that was a big deal? It, it took some time. You know, it, it, it's just such a – everything happens so fast, right? And, and you're, you're – in that scenario back then you're on to the next week so quickly you know like i said we we're like oh we're we're pumped but of course you know we're in waterford connecticut we're, you know what was it i mean it's three and a half hours or whatever it is from home right it's you can't sell you nobody's down there like this we have no fans there right yeah. so it was you know and then you you get loaded up and, and then you get involved in it there's a car accident you know by the time you get home it's like oh, i could go to bed because you know and it's you're on to the next week you know every time you're unloading it on Sunday and, and going through the car to prepare it. And, and, and so you can figure out, you know, how to win the, you know, or run competitive the next race. Well, and they had 16 or 18 races too those, those years. So yeah. you couldn't relax between races. No, there was never that time. There was never that time. And like I said, you, you so far away from home, it was, it was real. It almost, it was more real. I think when the racing paper came out, right. And you're on the page of it. Yeah. Right. And the racing papers at the racetrack the next week, and everybody's looking at it like that. I think it's more real then. Then you're like, oh, fuck that, that's holy shit, that's me. Yeah. Or Troy, you know, Troy introduces us, and he says, "Oh, you're the most recent, your most recent ACT winner." When he introduces you on the racetrack, that's the, those are the times when you're like, hey, you know, you feel like you've actually accomplished something. Hell yeah! So one race that I think to me stands out even more than that win was at the end of the year, the race at Lee. 76 cars in the pits. It's the first time that Tom ever pays 10,000 to win. And you're up. I mean, you had a hell of a day. Um, you guys ended up third, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that, so you didn't fade though. I mean, that's 150 lapper on a worn out racetrack yeah. with the best drivers and the best stuff. And you're there. I, I, that, that was kind of the race where everybody's like, okay, time to take him serious. Yeah, we were. Yeah, exactly. I, we were super good. Uh, Lee, I fit my driving style. I, I really liked racing there. Um, and it, you know, and it's same. We, we really did kind of fade because ended up losing my brakes um, on the last on the run on the on the second run. We lost our brakes, so I only had rear brakes. So I couldn't. And there was, I watched the video of it. Fuck, this is years ago now, but you can see the rear calipers are glowing getting into the corner but i didn't have any front brakes at all so the car was getting super loose um but it was a, it was a, it was a huge stepping stone for us we learned a lot we just and 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 i will pat was and i will always give him credit for this the best race strategist i've ever been around like he had a plan he would see it and he could see where you started and he could see how you were running and he would make a call and it was right every time of when to pit. Is it a you conversation know? or are you a, I'm a shut up and listen and I'll just turn the wheel. Yeah. Well, Pat was, Pat and I had two different personalities, right? Pat, Pat's like a, he's a racing encyclopedia, right? He, he, he was a huge Oxford 250 fan. He just, and he, he could indulge in the racing so deeply of, of when to pit and how the car was. And this is what we need to do. And we should pit early. We should pit late. And he had a plan and it was work. It worked every time. If you look back when we raced, if we had a racetrack that we were at that we pitted, 
we we finished in the top three almost. I, I I don't think there was a time we didn't. His pitch strategy was spot on. If you've got a home project going on, your first stop should be Barry Tile and Morrison Clark Incorporated. From flooring to kitchens, from bathrooms to outdoor projects, from your home to your business, they are number one in Central Vermont. As you've heard on this show, Justin and I are officially middle-aged super dads now. And one of our favorite hobbies is looking at the Barry Tile Facebook page to see their latest projects. I love the carpeting and hardwood flooring, and he loves the kitchen countertops and shower installations. And it's true. Barry Tile has been family owned for 50 years and their experience shows in every single job. It's high quality work by highly qualified people who can design and install everything you need to upgrade your home or office. It's not a big chain store. It's local people with common sense and a ton of skill. Be like us and check out the Barry Tile Facebook page to see some examples of their incredible work. Or you can give them a call at 802-476-0912. You can also stop into the showroom at 889 South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont, and tell them that the guys from Uncommon Deeds sent you. This winter has certainly reminded us of what it's like to be without electricity, and it's no fun at all. So don't let it happen again. Call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service so that you and your family are ready for the next storm. Whether it's Kohler or Briggs & Stratton, Bushy's is Vermont's leader for home standby generators and for Briggs & Stratton portable generators. With manufacturer-certified technicians, free in-home estimates, factory warranties, service after the sale, and 0% financing all available to you, it's easy to see why Bushy's is number one. And they're doing it again, by the way, when you call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service between now and Thunder Road's Memorial Day Classic, mention that you heard this ad on Uncommon Deeds and save $500. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service covers all of Vermont and New Hampshire, as well as Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. Give them a call at 802-591-1903 or visit their Facebook page or bushysgenerator.com. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service of Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. We keep your power on. So let's move to the 2005 season where you guys have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't perfect either because you, you missed the race at Thunder Road early in the season. Yeah. Uh, but then you came back with a fifth at White Mountain, a third at Canaan, and a second at Oxford right after that. I mean, that's like you are running. Yeah, we well, so we built um, after the 04 season. We had taken, um, kind of got lucky because Tom really liked us. Uh, I really, we spent a lot of time with him. And so he had a tire test for the Goodyears. And uh, we ran them in Kawatha up to yeah. Chris, um, can't remember the guy's name's track there. Well, anyways, we went up there. Derek Lynch. Yes, Derek's track. So we went up and we were running 10 inch Goodyears. And we ran against their supers, um, which is a whole other story. But anyways, well, the car, the car we had that old, it was an old left-hander car and that track just destroyed it. it we didn't wreck it. We, but it flexed, it, it flexed, it flexed the front chassis enough that the, the bars that would go from, that went up from, through the windshield, left-handers had them kind of did an X through the middle of the windshield to go down to brace the front. It bent those and bent the dash. Just from the racing. Ch- just from racing the chassis flexed so badly wow so we knew that we had if we were gonna stay racing 
we needed to do something else. So we sold everything, sold the trailer. We sold the car. We sold everything we had and we bought all new. We built a brand new race basics car. Um, and Dave Smith was awesome, but we did the same thing that we always did. We, we went over, we built a car and we took it home. We, we didn't have them set it up. We didn't want anybody to know what we want, what we were doing. It was going to be ours. And we took it home and uh, we put that thing together and we took a time on it and did a really good job on it. And Pat, because <laughs> Pat and I, Heather um, had moved in with us. Pat and I had were living together at an apartment and Heather had moved in with us. We had an apartment in Lancaster and Pat and I were sitting on the couch one winter and he was looking at Circle Track magazine. Ted Christopher who had run a late model race at Martinsville and they had a reporter with him and they had this whole setup in there of what he ran. And Pat kind of looked at it and he's like, I'm going to try something like that. And it was, it was off the wall. It was different from anybody else was doing. Dave Smith was running nothing close to that. Right. So we stuck it in a car and we go to Canaan. Uh, they had a test down there cause ACT was going to Canaan that year. And uh, we went down for a test and it was Phil Scott was there. Dave Pembroke, Brent Dragon. Um, it was a couple of them, top of the line cars. And we had everybody by three tenths. Oh man. Everybody by three tenths. And we were flying fast. And uh, we kind of knew it then. We knew that we, we really had something with that car. It was, yeah, it was insane. We, and then we went racing. I, we struggled. Thunder Road was a, was a bear. For me, with a with a late model, I just and I think running running the tiger there for a couple of years really hurt me. Um, you know, because the tiger it was a it was a hustler. Like you could hustle the car, and the more you hustled it, the more it liked it at Thunder Road. And the late model was opposite; like it was completely opposite. It was more of a finesse, and and let the car settle and let the car eat the track up, and 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 you kind of was riding along, right? You just steered it and. It was it was a difficult thing for me to adjust to. That's why I was really good at tracks I never had gone to before. Um, but yeah, we ran really well until 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 we didn't. Yeah. So let me give some context, and then I'm gonna let you take it away here. Labor Day, 2005. You guys were going to lap the field. Absolutely. I, I mean, no shit about it. You guys were going to lap the field, and what happened? So, yeah. Well, I gotta, I'll back it up a little bit. So, we were really good in practice on Saturday, right? Loaded the car. We went and saw Larry the Cable Guy at the fair in Burlington. It was awesome. Sweet. Sorry. So, we unloaded. So, the next day, we walk into pits. We open the trailer door, and the car is sitting on the floor. And the spring mount broke. It broke right off. It's sitting in the trailer. So, we get it fixed. Get it through tech. Well, when we go through tech, there was only one chip left in the bag. Dead last. So I'm like, dude, I told Pat, like, I, I don't worry about it, man. This car's fast. We're good. So we started last in our heat race, and I passed. Uh, AJ began on the backstretch in the dirt to take the lead. I don't even know, like four or five laps into it. <laughs> Flying fast. So we had a plus 11. That's what a, that was the highest plus minus that they had ever had at the time. So we started on the pole, and I, I don't know. I, I know what happened. 
Um, but it is conflicting stories. But anyway, so where we took off and I'm just riding. I mean, I'm riding this and Pat's yelling at me to slow down. And I'm like, dude, I can't go any slower. I mean, I was letting off at the flag stand and I'm letting off halfway down the backstretch and I am just mowing them down. So coming down the backstretch, I remember looking over and seeing cars in the infield spinning around. Right. So I could see them like they're trying to gather themselves. So when I went into turn three, I stayed, I was way high, right? I just stayed up the top of the racetrack because I figured, you know, they're going to come back upon on the flat of the front stretch, whatever. So I came out of four. I was right against the wall. And Mark Lambert had come out of the infield and took me right square in the door and put me right at the flag stand. And I was right on top of him. I looked down and I was looking inside his car. And that just destroyed that old girl. We came down off of came off the wall and down over the top of those Jersey barriers there where, where Dean and the, the tech Trek officials stood behind and that bent the whole center section of the car and bent the fuel cell and broke the transmission. Yeah. In so that, we went from, yeah. Destroying that, them. Yeah. In that moment, can you even register what just happened or is it just so confounding that you're almost no, like at a loss? Couldn't even put it together. Like yeah. I couldn't even, you know, it, it was like slow motion, man. I, I was, I saw the cars. I saw, I, I like, I felt like I read the entire scenario correctly. And then boom, like it was just boom. And then the next thing you know, there's sparks flying and there's tires and people screaming. And it was, and it was over. It was just like that. It was over. I, I couldn't. I mean, the money's in the bank, dude. <laughs> and then we were we were dominant, and it was the only time I've ever had a car at Thunder Road, even that resembled that kind of handling. It was. I want to make some notes here for everybody. Mark Lamberton is a goddamn good racer. Yeah, he made a terrible mistake. Yeah, Mark Lamberton won championships and a lot of races. He's a very good racer who just did not get it right at that moment. And I don't know. I don't know if he didn't have anybody in his ear or he didn't see or what was going on, but nobody could believe what was happening as it was happening. Like you said, it happened in slow motion and people were just dumbfounded. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I, I, you know, and a lot of times I thought that, I thought because he was in the infield with another car, right? Uh, so, because there was two cars in the infield at the time when I was going on the backstretch. And I, so I thought for life of me that he thought it was the car that put him in the infield, right? And, then, and he was just kind of like, hey, it's kind of like, you know, fuck you, right? And that's, I kind of thought that, but I really think he was just hitting the pits, man. He's trying to get the hell out of there. Yep. Yep. And he came out of the infield and was just trying to get to the pits. And, and, I, and in his defense, who would have thought the leader was going to be there? You know, I mean, what was it? No, it's twenty something laps into the race, right? And I had three quarters of a lap. I was I was at the back of the field. I mean, I was putting cars down like it was. Uh, you wouldn't have thought that. It, it, like Jason Corliss wishes he was that good, as good as he is right now. You were you you would have made him look silly. The car was that good that day. We were super dominant. I I, I could. I, I couldn't even put a finger on it. And all I wanted to do at the end of the day was take the car home and, 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 and get it scaled and, and get it written down to see where we were, where we were. Cause we could, so we could repeat it. It's the only thing I wanted to do. 
the car was so good. And oh god, it was it was nothing after that. Destroyed. Did you and Mark talk after? Yeah, I mean, obviously in the moment, you know. And I'm not, I, I'm not someone. I'm not a fighter. I'm not someone that goes and, and and yells and screams and hollers. It doesn't do me any good, right? So, I mean, and, and he knew how fucking how stupid it was. I mean, it wasn't like it was a shock, right? And he felt. I think he felt as bad. He felt worse than I did. That he was. And got it. I mean, years had gone by. I didn't, hell, I ended up selling my race car trailer to him. Um, you know, years after that, but uh, and he was still apologetic. <laughs> so uh, well, that sounds was, that sounds like Mark. Yeah, it was. It was just a. I mean, he was a hard nosed racer. I mean, I raced against him at at Airborne, you know, and he raced hard. He always did, you know, but he never did that. Like, I mean, I don't know of anybody that does that. I, I, it was just, it was just a, it was a huge mistake. And I was a, and I was, a, it was just a consequence of it. So what do you do next? So it's funny as I, <laughs> I actually called Pat today to talk to him. Cause I, for the life of me, I cannot remember the guy's name in Connecticut. I know his name's Mike. I think I know his name's Mike, but anyways, Sangermano. What is it? Mike Sangermano. Agramano. All right, we were close. So we <laughs> we came home, um, obviously disappointed. Um, we uh, and I believe I know it was Nick Demers had. I think the guy reached out to him. Someone reached out to Nick about um, about a car wanting to come race. If I was looking, because obviously people were just devastated, right? They're like, "Oh my god!" So uh, so he's from Connecticut. He had a car. Um, they raced it. I think they raced at Waterford. Um, I don't know if they had a driver. I thought, I think the brother, it was two brothers. And I think he was, the, maybe the brother drove it a little bit or whatever. So Pat and I went down. Um, we tested the car at Waterford. Um, the car was okay. Right. And we just wanted to finish the season. I think we had two races left. I think, yeah, it was a league governor's cup in the Milk Bowl. So, and we just wanted to finish it out because we were top five in points at the time. I think, uh, or somewhere around there, mid like fifth or so. So anyways, we wanted to finish it out, finish the season out. So we went down, tested the car and then, and they were super awesome. I mean, they had, I mean, they had a brand new stacker trailer. They had this car. It was black and purple and it was, it was Connecticut, but it was cool. Right. And they were awesome people. So we, uh, we went to Lee at the governor's cup and gosh, we ran the hell out of it. I think we finished second to Gene Paul. You did. Um, at that $10,000 win race, we ran the hell out of that car. The car was, it was okay. And then uh, we went to, we went to the boat bowl, struggled. We didn't, we didn't run well at all with it, but, um, but it, we got to finish the year out with it. And uh, so then we went back to the drawing boards and we built another one. We went to race basics and built another new car. And we ran 06. Oh six, we were we were good, you know. We were we had we were about two races in when we finally figured out why we faded. Um, we kept fading, um, and it, it turned out to be brakes. We were just we ran lightest of everything all the time, light, 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 light. Right, tour racing, spec motor. Right, you got to have light, 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 light. 
And we got all our parts from Quint Bolvar, Lulton. And Quint was super good to us. I mean, he we wouldn't even have raced as long as we did if it weren't for him. So, and him and Pat got to be really good buddies. Pat was always picking his brain. And he kept telling Pat, stop buying this cheap white stuff. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. And he wouldn't tell Pat why. He'd just tell him, stop buying it. Well, eventually, Pat said something about his, I don't know, we faded or something. And, and Quint's like, dude, put real brakes on the car. So Pat researched and researched and researched, and he found the pads he wanted to run, him and Quint. Actually, Quint called the guy at, I can't remember the name of the company that made them brake pads, but called the guy and told him what he was looking for. And, he, and they designed a pad for him that we put in the car. And we up the, we put heavy rotors on it. And after that, because I, I, I trail braked a lot with an at car. Um, especially the running, the setups we ran, we ran really soft. We had no rebound in front, so I trail braked off the corner, keeping those down to keep gripping the car. So my brakes would overheat, and I once I lost that, I I couldn't keep gripping the car. The grip would all go away. So once we figured the brake problem out, then we we learned how to be better, and we learned how to be better on long runs, save a car. So. That's very interesting, actually, to hear that. Um, got a win at Seekonk. Uh, second, uh, I mean, you guys were very consistent. Top five in points. It was a good year. Yeah. And then 2007, and that's when the world finds out who Roger Brown is, right? Yeah. Yeah, 2007 was, was it. And it started rough, dude. Rough. We had... We, we ended up with two cars and somehow, I don't know how, the car we originally wrecked us on the road, we fixed it. We got it fixed. Um, and so we decided to have two cars. We started the season out with two cars. We're going to run one car here, one car they had never run. That was way too much for us. We were, I, I had them both. I had them, I, I really, I squared the cars and I, and I screwed both of them up the same amount. Like it was horrible. Like I had them both, I had them both effed up. And it was, anyway, so it took us like a few weeks to get that thing, that straightened out. But, um, but we we were fast. Well, car was good. We had a good car, and we went into that season. I mean, we had we did a roll center just for Oxford. You know, we we had of course once we learned how to do roll center, then we were addicted to what it could do, and we played with it all the time. And we we literally we had a roll center that we had Pat and I had mapped out just for Oxford, just on the base how the track was and and, and the amount of body roll you got. And where you wanted the body the roll to go, and the side force we wanted, and and so we 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 put a lot of time in it, um, and then then we blew up. We had some we had a super good car, White Mountain, and we grenaded that baby in practice. Uh, that's the only time the the second car worked out because we drove we flew back to Lancaster and picked up the and picked up the other car to get back in time to run the feature. Or to qualify for the to, to get in the heat race, and um, yeah, and then we 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 went to the two fifty. It it was a surprise to it was a surprise to everybody that was an Oxford two fifty fan, but that was just because they didn't know anybody. You know, it was the first year of an ACT yeah, race, right? Didn't know anybody? I mean, other than the guys that ran supers that ran it, you know, and and they had some some old cup drivers that they paid to, to go run that were you know in uncompetitive but but we knew i mean it, we knew i felt like we could win the race right and we we were good 
you know, and, and I mean, there was 97 cars in the pits. I think that weekend it was, it was loaded. It was, we drew dead, we drew dead last in a heat race. That was awesome. Um, and we, like I said, Pat and his pitch strategy. I mean, everybody, I, I've never seen it. I'm not a, I'm not a say, I, I'm not a huge race fan, right? I'm not going to sit down and watch a race. I'm just not. Like, I love the race, right? I love the competition of it. I love being out there and, and being able to outdo somebody else at what we did. But just I'm just not a race fan at all. And Pat could probably sit down and recount every 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 winner of every Oxford 250, right? So he knew. He knew what we were going to do. He had seen them all. He's like, this is how it's going to play out. This is how we pit. Because at the time, it was still – they still scored you. It was – it was still scored on pit road. So you could go a lap down if you passed on, on pit road. And, and Pat knew that he knew the strategy, how to get it done. So you know, we drew dead last. We started dead last in our heat. I moved, missed it by one. I think we they took three or whatever. We finished fourth. Um, got second in our concy. Started 37th. Passes. We're pitting early. We get a caution before a lap hundred man. We're pitting. I don't give a fuck. I don't care when it is. So you drive the shit out of that thing, get everything you can possibly get out of those tires. So we drove up into, I don't know where we were. We were in the close to top 10, maybe somewhere around there ish. We had a caution. I want to say 75, right around 75. Just perfect. Then. We had a yellow and we pitted, took four tires. When I went out, I, and we, you know, we, they worked. we guys worked really hard. And Pat worked really hard with them so that we could pit and we could take the four tires without having to come back. You know, because in the years past, you you couldn't go a lap down under yellow, right? It wasn't like that, but you could get if the you got if you passed the pace car, you got you got penalized a lap. And if you were on pit road and a lap car come back around, you went a lap down. Like that's how it worked. And people got pad they people passed the pace car when they went on pit road. You didn't stay behind the pace car. They got penalized laps, things like that. And a lot of times, in a lot of 250s, most guys, a lot of the super guys would, they take two, go out, come back in, right? Take the other two. They worked really hard on being able to do it. And, of course, we didn't have quick fills, right? So getting gas in it, we had to create a concoction to get gas in it fast and that kind of thing. So, anyways, we got the four tires on, and we went back out, and I just rode. Pass like just ride. Don't pass anybody take the easy ones on restarts and that's it. Just ride, save the tire, save, 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 save. And we had, uh, God, it was yellow. Well, it was like 108. I think I took it on 108. So there was a caution right around 108. And when we went green, when we lined back up, I was second. So then I, we took the green and see ya. Sayonara. Yeah. We raced. Race hard. We, I mean, I saved my tires for, you know, I just had to, I just tried to ride, right? Save, 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 you know, because there was some good cars, right? There was some, we, I mean, the tour then was super competitive, right? When, when Tom went to the Coney rule, everybody could win. Like, I mean, it took the Gene Paul and the, I mean, Gene and Rick Pay still won a lot of races, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't dominant, you know, it just wasn't, you know, and Joey Pole and then, you know, in Patrick LaPearl and the Canadian guys. I mean, it was just a lows and everybody could win. 
Well, but you know, you mentioned AJ Began, he won races, you know, yeah. and, and that's not a knock on him, but it, it really showed that the playing yeah. field was wide. Yeah, that Coney that Coney rule changed everything. It 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 really did. It changed everything for a lot of people. So um David Avery was really good that day. Um and I got into a tuffle with him, but he was really good. I mean, I raced around him and we, you know, we ended up but we, it's it just what really hurt us more than anything else at the end of that race is that it was a ton of yellows. Like it was just the first bit of it went like it was, we had one or two yellows, but it, you know, you'd have 30, 40, 50 laps between yellows. And it seemed like after we got the lead, it was like I'd run 10 laps and it was yellow, run 10 laps, it was yellow. So when those guys pitted around 125, 130, they just kept getting yellows and they kept getting the freebies. You know, I mean, they kept getting free throws and it, and, and next thing you know, they're on my bumper and they haven't done nothing yet. So we had a good car. I just had to fight them. That's all. We, we, we lost the lead from, I lost the lead for, from, from David for a split second on the backstretch. And that was about it. And then it got really close to the end, but that was more my fault than anything else. Cause I, uh, you know, I, I may have, uh, may have been having a slight heart attack the last few laps right you know when pat steps going you know oh, there's a hundred bucks every lap there's a hundred yeah. bucks there's a there's a hundred bucks there's a hundred bucks i'm like dude shut up i don't want to hear this no more. stop talking <laughs> and then you know my dad was fought and, and of course you know he's he's a parent man you're freaking out he's i'm sure he was freaking out right and he was crickets i mean crickets the last 10 laps like not a word i didn't hear nothing so yeah, we got to tangle up with David. We had knocked the toe out a little bit, and the car was wasn't as good. Um, but yeah, pulled it off. We won the Oxford two fifty. That was that was our goal going into the season. Um, I talked to Tom Curley was at my wedding in in, in the fall of '06, um, and and he had told me that I needed to win a big race if I was going to be somebody in the sport, and if he was going to help me get there, I needed to win a big race. So. It was, uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was, and he was one of the first people on the racetrack. Him and all the ACT people, Tina and Dean and Darla. It was, yeah, it was huge, 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 huge win. You said that you're not really a big race fan. You like racing, but you said you went in, felt confident, felt like you could win. Does that, kind of not being that huge race fan did that help in a sense because it didn't necessarily make it as big as it might be to some other people who are like oh my god you know oxford 250 and you're like oh fuck it i'm just gonna go win it well and i i think it's yeah it did help it, it did help to me it was another race like i i want to win it's the oxford 250 it's the biggest race i could ever win like i'm not you know I mean, I was at the time, what, 27, whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going Daytona. You know, I'm not, this is it, man. This is, Sox 250 is as good as it's ever going to get. Right. So, um, and we, we hit it at the right time where I thought we were, uh, as a team, we were there. We were able to run competitive and one up front everywhere we went all the time. So it was our chance to win it, you know, and, and, uh, it was easier not being such a huge racing fanatic, you know, I mean, I'm around racing fanatics all the time now. And even then, you know, and we talked about Quinny Welch, I mean, he's a huge race fan. If he's not racing, he's at the races watching, 
Like I, I can't even stand to watch a race. Like it's, I, I just, I, I missed, I like, I love to compete and racing was something that I was good at, you know, and, and that you could learn to be good at, but, um, the Oxy 250 was obviously, it, it never really, it's a huge race and it's a big deal. I mean, I knew that. And then after the race, all the pictures and the things that went on that we went up into the, we went up into the booth and we talked and we had all these things and I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. Right. This is great. And, you know? And then, you know, I had people calling me. I, I mean, I was, I mean, I think big Joe Paul was the first person to call me, you know, and, and he was, they didn't even qualify for the race. And he called me. I mean, he was, I mean, he was, he was as happy as anybody I've ever talked to about it. Right. It was just, it meant a lot. I think it meant a lot to a lot of people. Um, which meant a lot. It meant a lot to me. My parents were proud and, and it, it just, it put a lot of, it, uh, it put a lot of value on what we did as a, as a, as a, as a team. How is the Groveton Riverside community after that win? Because it's something that had never been done before and hasn't been done since where one of you guys goes out and wins the biggest race in the country. Uh, I don't know. I don't. The sad part about it is, is I, as much as I, I and, it, and it's really, a, it's probably a personality flaw, but I, I don't, I don't go out looking for it. Like I'm not, like I don't, I mean, in, in the Riverside, like they didn't have late models. It wasn't like at the time, like you couldn't, you know, we couldn't come back from there and like go up the Riverside and fucking, you know, you know, and beat up on the, beat up on the local guys. Right. You couldn't do it because they didn't race there. There's no, there was no racing or side as far as late models. So, um, the, the community that I live in, I, I, I didn't, I mean, I was in the paper and people called and, and I had friends and people that, you know, that I didn't even know went to races called me, you know, and, and congratulated me and oh my God. But, um, to say that the community, you know, I mean, I mean, God, my, my son won two baseball championships at the high school and, and they rolled out a red carpet for them way more than they ever did for me winning the Oxford 250, which rightfully so. Uh, yeah, sure. You win, like you said, the biggest race that you could win, you win. At that point, and that kind of season continues through, are you starting to think, oh, my son's getting older, I've won the pinnacle race that I can win. Do you start kind of hearing the clock tick on what you're doing in terms of racing? No, honestly, at the time, no, no, we were, we won the 250, and then um, that was a. I mean, to finish that off, the the guys took the car back into the to to tech after the race and blew the motor in it on the way to the tech. Really? Yeah. So. We second motor of the year, we blew up. So I spent a whole day at uh, Butler Remaster getting the motor rebuilt on Wednesday. No, Friday, Friday, Friday on Friday. And then, cause the same thing, like you just write back to it, right? There weren't that time to enjoy it, you know? So, um, and we, uh, yeah, so we rebuilt the engine in it and we went to St. Estash for a 300 lapper the following Saturday. And that was probably the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. Like, cause remember I told you like when I, when I was a kid or right up a race in that Grofton 
you know, I saw Cooper McCritchie and how people treated him, right? We pulled into that race, St. Stash. This is the biggest race in Canada, 300 laps to St. Stash. I'd never been to St. Stash in my life. And we pulled in there, and that's what I, that's what I got mm-hmm. from the fans. They're talking French, and they're pointing at us. Oh, my God, like that's the guy that won the Oxford 250, right? It was, it was awesome. It was that was the, that was probably more rewarding than anything else, and I, I don't know if that makes me selfish. I don't know what that makes me, but it was it was pretty fantastic. But and we we ran there, we ran second to Pearl, La Pearl, um, and then uh, yeah, we I don't know, I don't even remember what happened. We finished the year out. We ended up finishing third or fourth or in a tour race at Oxford, or and uh, and the biggest thing that happened was is we won. Oh, Jesus, I don't even want to talk about Kawatha. Oh, come on. I got to know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Kawatha happened. So we, uh, we'd been going to Canada for a bit, right? Well, I'd had a, I'd had a DWI in my younger days. So we'd been going in problems, right? Well, all the prior, prior to, was it prior to 05, prior to 05, we never had a points race up there that we had to go to. So the old man was concerned. So him and his trucking buddies or whatever, they, they get guys that get pardons. So you can get pardoned for your, your issues, right? So federal offense for a DWI in Canada. So I had to get pardoned for it. They thought. Regardless, long story short, I went up and did the. I, I went up and did that. Um. So, yeah. So, I went up and did that. Well, in the, in the it did paperwork, whatever. It turns out, I didn't end up needing it. Not a big deal. So we go to go to Kwatha, and the old man and stuff. They were going to head up early, and I couldn't leave that early for work and stuff. So Heather and I was going to drive up. So we drove up, we get to the border, and I get detained for paperwork that I signed when I went up to get a to get a pardon. I went up to get the paperwork to do a pardon, and I had to sign paperwork or whatever while I was there. Well, because I did that, I couldn't get in. So my race car was in Kawatha, it was in Canada, and I couldn't get there. Yeah, so I spent the weekend home on the couch. That is wild. Yeah, I was flaming. Yeah. I guess I didn't know yep. that whole story. Damn. Yeah. It turned out, and it was, it was just, it was stupid. It really was, but. It, I mean, it sucks that you weren't the driver, but it went really well. Yeah, they finished second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pete Vanderwist is a hell of, he just won a championship in Ontario this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pat loved him. Pat, Pat liked him a lot. He, he learned some stuff from him. I learned that. I, I learned some restarting tricks from him. Yeah. Yeah. Then mm. that was, a, it was, it was, un, it was disappointing to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. So we were stuck and they ended up, I mean, they, they, they what did we do? Like race the car it's there, right? You drove, I mean, it's nine hours to Kawatha. So they might as well run it. They raced it and they did okay. But then let's go back to what Tom sort of alluded to. Like, it's almost the end. Yeah, it is. Right? I mean, what do you Why? do? Why? Really what happened was um, 
you've been, you guys raced, right? It's expensive, right? And we had so much debt. When we had debt, that's why we quint over. I mean, we had we had our quint bill was thousands, tens, tens of thousands of dollars, and you know we had credit card bills, and we had this, and we had that, and and by winning, I mean we won. We had won between Oxford and the tour and, and all that. We, I think we, we accumulated almost 60,000 in winnings that year. So we were able to alleviate our debt, right? We were able to own our race car trailer. We paid off Quint. We blah, blah, blah. And it, it, timing was, we were just getting in. That was 07, right? So the recession was hitting and the old man, the, the, the trucking industry was tough. Fuel prices were up. He was, he was struggling and it just, we, he had, he had told us, right. Him and I had talked and he told me he was out. Like he just couldn't do it anymore. You know, and we were okay. I had money saved up and we had money in our account and we sold the second car we had, we, had, we sold it um, and did okay with it. So we had some money in the bank and it just didn't, it just didn't work out. Right. We, the money kind of disappeared mysteriously the money in the account kind of went away because you know the old man had bills he had to pay and then the trucking was struggling and you know it was come february i couldn't see how we could stay racing i had no money we had nothing to do it with so pat moved he moved to north carolina and uh i ended up i looked at everything and i ended up having i ended up selling it i sold the car to Jockle Pearl, which was I was super reluctant to do. I wish I had, and and honestly, I, I in hindsight, I, I I wish I'd have kept it, right? Because I didn't need to sell it, but um, but I also knew that I couldn't let it sit there and not race it. Like, I just I just couldn't. So yeah, sold sold the car and the pit box and everything to to Jacques and. I think Patrick ended up racing it once or something, and and then we, uh, yeah, sold the the trailer, ended up selling to Mark Lambert. Eventually, I had a had bought a toter home because the old man's it was his pickup, so he was he had it was the lease was up, so he weren't having a truck. So I bought a toter home. I found a used toter home, and I so I ended up selling that. And, and like I said, the timing timing wasn't was I didn't want to at the time. But it was the best thing for all of us, I guess. You know, at the end, it was, you know, like I, I wouldn't have been able to. My parents provided a lot for me, right, and give me opportunities. And and then you know, and, and Braxton was, he was getting there. Right? He was eight, nine years old, seven, eight, nine, and he's starting to play sports and 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 things. And I I knew if I stayed racing, he would he'd end up being with me, right? He wouldn't be playing sports. He'd be. He'd be in the pits. I mean, what kid wouldn't want to be at the racetrack? Right. So I, I, I felt like if I eliminated that option, I would made me probably better for him in the future. So you eliminate the option, which seems like a smart thing. And we've heard that from more than a few guys on this show that they just had to get away from it. Did it make it a little easier for you not being a race fan? Cause it sounds like you're not, going to go to thunder road and get an itch or anything like that yeah it, it did in a way i mean i didn't i don't go to races like i'm not uh i mean i like to watch a good race so i'm wrong but 
I mean, I'll go run a, I'll go watch a pass race or, or something like that occasionally, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, a. um, I mean, I raced in 08. I, I ran for, uh, Mike locks. Uh, they had built a Dale shot, built them a brand new late model. And I ran, we tried running with them. Nick and I did. It's Pat had left and that was a fucking disaster. Um, and then, uh, Kyle Karen, he got a hold of me because Gene had run for him a little bit. Yep. And uh, I went and ran. Uh, we went and ran the 250 with him a couple times. I really enjoyed racing with Kyle and Keith. They were, they were a lot of fun. Um, you guys and they wanted race at uh, Grove Tana, too. Yeah, we finished second to Welch there at the, one of those yeah. fall brawls. Um, but, you know, and they wanted to run Thursday nights at Thunder Road, and I just couldn't commit to that. Like I said, I wanted to wanted to give the Braxton the opportunity and I just couldn't commit to running on Thursday nights and, and then just kind of, you know, the opportunities stopped coming, I guess, because we didn't really run great. Right. I just, and it was different. Man, a lot of you, it was, it was different. You know, it was Pat and I, we, we, Pat and I made a, you know, a, a, a collective decision that we were going to, we were going to be competitive one way or the other. It wasn't money. It wasn't, if we worked hard enough, and put our damn brains to it, we could do it, you know. And I wish, in hindsight, I heard hindsight. I, I, I wish we could have ran one more year. And I think there's you know, people you talk to may say that all the time, but I wish we could run one more because I thought, I know, I know we were, we were right there, right? We were there, we were at that level where we could have just, we could have dominated and, and we could have competed to win every week every track all the time we were we were there we had pat had the setups he had the, the, the knowledge of it and i felt as a racer i had i was the best i was ever gonna get you know i i, I knew how to control my car i knew how to stay ahead of the car i knew how to save my tires i knew how to save my brakes i knew how to you know i'd learned it all by trial and error right i mean you wreck enough stuff and you destroy enough shit you bound to figure it out after a while so I felt like if we had one more that we really could have done it, you know, and we could have just, cause I mean, the dominate on the ACT tour, I just, I, I was, you know, wanted to win more. Right. I really, you know, and I could, the, the, the losses hurt me more than the wins. I mean, the, the wins I, you know, since you called me on Friday, like I've thought about these things and I'm like, and it, and it seems so long ago. It's like, you know, I just trying to explain it to Pat earlier. It's like looking through a window at a life at someone else's life. That's what it feels like. It really does feel like that. It's, I know I was there and I know it happened, but it's just, it's like a, it's a whole lifetime ago. How old are you? 43. I mean, if someone called you tomorrow, you're not done. Are you not done? What? Anything? No, I'm no, I'm not done with life i think like i'm dying of cancer if someone called you tomorrow and said hey we need a driver for opening day would you listen that's right absolutely at this point my i mean braxton's my i mean like i said my son's graduating college right i mean he's which is i can't believe i'm that old but he's 22 you know he's he lived his dream he did what he wanted he went to college and played baseball like that's what he wanted to do and 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 we you know we sacrificed and provided for him to be able to do that and gave him his opportunity 
you know, no different than my parents did for me. I mean, they gave me the opportunity to race. So, um, you know, if someone called me and say, Hey, I want to go racing, you know, I went and helped, uh, I went and helped the Savage boys at uh, Johnny Savage. He was running at white mountain. I went and helped him a couple of years ago, I guess. Now they had bought a new poor city car. It was fun. I did the pits and stuff. That was okay. It was interesting. Um, learn a little bit of different side of it, but I would yeah. imagine that when you stroll through the pits for the first time in 10 years or whatever, that, you know, you're getting a lot of slaps on the back and Hey, yeah. what the hell, what are you doing? Like, I miss that. Probably we missed that as a, you know, Heather and I missed that more than as the people, you know, I mean, I, I was, it would been years. It'd been 10 years since I seen Tina and Dean. And I mean, we were super close. I mean, we went to their wedding. They went to our wedding. You know, I, I hadn't seen, I missed, you know, you know, being around Tom, you know, before he passed, just too bad. You know, I mean, Tom gave my best man speech at my wedding for Christ's sakes. I mean, we were at the time, I mean, in that, in that era, that oh three, four, five, six, seven, it was, it was, it was close. We were really close with those guys and, and it was, it was fun seeing it because, but you know, it's like, I mean, you see him every week. You know, and it's you see them more than your your whole family. You know, you see them more than anybody. So I miss the people. You know, I haven't seen like Gene Paul. We were good friends with Gene Paul and, and Joey Pole and, and Patrick the Pearl. And oh, okay, let me stop you right there. So you said that you're not a people person, which is bullshit. Um, and yes, everybody's it's a traveling circus, and everybody sees each other every week. And I was on sort of the other side of that. Um, I was the guy telling all your stories writing for, I think at the time I was with speed 51, there was a race somewhere. And I think this might've been Oh five. And I think it actually might've happened the morning of your crash, the, the labor day race. Pa- I, I quoted Patrick LaPerle. He and Phil Scott had some altercation and on the week before I quoted Patrick LaPerle. And in his words, he said, fuck Phil Scott. And I printed it and you ran out in the middle of pit road and said, you seen La Pearl yet? I said, no. He said, you better hide in my trailer. Cause he's looking for you. <laughs> and, and you know, he grabbed me by the collar and he's six foot five and I'm five foot eight and you know, the fat little kid. And he's like, St. Louis I said, yeah. And he goes, do you know why I'm mad at you? I said, I think I have a, I think I have an idea. Roger, help me out with that a little bit. And he said, he goes, I don't care what I said. You never print that shit again. I'll kick your fucking ass. You got it. And I said, all right, all right. And then you, 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 you loved that for weeks. You loved that for weeks. Um, and that's the shit I miss. I, I, you know, we were all close. It was, yeah. it was fun. Yeah, it was a good tour. It really was. You know, it was. You could leave. Um, you have altercations with people, whatever, but you come to the, you come to the next race. It didn't matter where it was. It was completely different. And I, and I will tell you every time, and I don't, it just, it's karma. Every time that I had to run in with somebody at any racetrack the next week, I pitted next to them in the pits. It didn't matter what happened. I don't know how it worked that way, but it's just it. So it was a good tour. We had a lot of fun. I mean, we went to, I mean, I guess, I mean, we went to Kwatha with gene paul and we went to the gentleman's club and that tire test 
man, that was unbelievably bad. It was a good time. But we ran – well, we, we it's nine hours over there. We ran – we we got there to the blog, meet and greet with with Lynch and his people and stuff. And then one of Gene's guys is like, "Hey, where's the local gentleman's club?" So we were like, "Yeah, he told us where it was." So we went there and we spent the night there, and then we got trashed, and I mean trashed. So we go to the racetrack the next day. We go out there for practice. I've never been on this racetrack, and it's fast. You know, it's a five eights progressive bank, fast, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. So and we went tearing around that baby. And, oh, I got dizzy. I threw up my helmet. Had to pit. <laughs> I was. It was a mess. It was a mess. And I come in and Pat's like, "Dude, you're a second and a half slow." I'm like, "Dude, I, I, I just puked in my helmet. I got so me. I can't do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die out here. I really can't even focus." And it poured buckets. It literally poured buckets, and they rained us out, and they sent us home. I'd never been so happy to be rained out. But we had a lot of good times. And, and and the guys in the pits were really good. And, you know, you had run-ins. I had run-ins with Patrick, you know, Lou Pearl. And well, he listen, was, I had a beer with him later that day. You know, it's not <laughs> like it was a, a, a you know a problem. Yeah, he was Patrick. They were awesome. It was it was it was a really good time. And I like I said, I wish we could have could have kept going another year. Another year is what I really wanted. Um, I would like to have gone out being better. I think we you know we should have won more races as you know in in, in retrospect. Um, but that's just what it is at this point. So, I mean, like I said, we've made a Patrick's made a great life for himself in North Carolina. Um, he's done excellent. Um, and so, and all our, all our guys have, I mean, Ricky moved to Alabama. I mean, he was like, he won the great, the great Christmas light fight for Christ's sakes. The TV show, oh, what that TV show, the great Christmas light fight we've seen on TV. I am not Tom. You know? This is drawing a blank on me. Do you know? Yeah. Christmas light fight. I'm yeah. like PC or some stupid shit. Like yeah, Christmas light competitions. Yeah. Yeah. He, he his family won it. Yeah, it was it was just on it was just on over in December. I think it's on ABC. I think it's ABC. Oh damn. Yeah, and uh, they, I mean Heather and I have made a great life for ourselves. I, I have no I have no no qualms about it. But but yes, if someone called me tomorrow to go back racing had the opportunity to do it and have fun at this, at this stage in life, right? You have nothing to lose by it. What was the response to, I just threw up in my helmet. I feel like that was in <laughs> Talladega Nights. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'd forgotten all about it until Pat said today, one of the one of your throwback questions, one of the stupidest things you do in a race car, like at the, your quick hitters or something, I listened to Quinny's podcast. So I asked Pat, I'm like, what would you say? And he's like, when you threw up your helmet at Quatha, it was probably the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> And I'm like, I did. He's like, Yeah, I do. I swear you did. And, uh, and then I had to think about it. Uh, it tried. It's a it's a memory you try to suppress. <laughs> but it was bad. A beautiful never... segue, though, to our Barry Tile <laughs> quick hitters. Unbelievable. As we get ready to, you wrap. know, you screwed me. Now I now I have to think of another question right here on the floor. As we uh, <laughs> things I did in the race car, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, let's kick it off. You're headed to the racetrack. You could pull up. And park next to anybody. Who would you want to park next to? Joe Paul. All right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Big Joe's awesome. Yeah. Them guys were, they were. They were a hoop. I mean, he yeah. bought me. Bought me a twelve. He was the first buddy. He bought me the next. Come to the race the next week. He bought me a twelve pack of Moxie because nobody drank Moxie. I love Moxie. So we it's get an the acquired races, taste. Yeah. 
Yeah, he bought me a case of Moxie. That was, uh, yeah, they're good people. He uh, cooked me some kielbasa on the radiator of Joey's car at Loudon one time. Not surprised. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay, so I'm going to take the easy way out and steal one of Tom's questions. Um, what? Who's the guy that you learned the most from through the windshield by racing against him? I would say that probably the I learned the most from would be Randy Potter. Randy Potter. Yeah, I didn't race against him very often. Um, but when I watched him race, he always, and he was the only one of his crew that did this. He always kept his composure very well, right? When he needed to. I mean, he was at Grofton. He was a fucking madman. You may right. want to listen to his podcast with us now because he'll <laughs> tell you a different story. <laughs> he was in Grofton. He was a fucking madman. He's a weapon. But when he raced ACT, he, he kept his composure. He got yeah. everything out of his car. Yeah. Right. He, you know, I didn't know at the time. I look back on it at yeah, afterwards. I mean, he had inferior equipment and an inferior help as far as the people he was trying to race against. And he got the most out of it all the time. Right. And he was the amount of respect that the guys he raced against gave him was something that I, I was I always at that time. I didn't know anything. Right. So it was it was it it, it, uh, it really sunk in to me as a racer of, of the things that I, I needed to accomplish. Right. Cause it is, as, as, as you guys all know, respect is something that you earn is certainly not something that you're rewarded by a position you're given. So uh, he, he just, he, he, he got respect from everybody, everywhere he went, you could see it. Like he just, the people around him and he, he, he presented himself really well on the racetrack and he got everything out of his car without looking like an asshole. He should have won seven or eight ACT races. Yeah. It's unbelievable how many times he finished second by this much. Yeah. He was, he, he was, he just was really good. You know, he, he was a fierce competitor, isn't he? And he probably, and he still is, you know, but, um, but he got everything out of his car without, without doing too much. And I think he learned that obviously if you, I'm sure I didn't listen to his podcast, but I, I, I was at Grofton as a kid and I, I remember, I remember some th- I remember a lot of things happening. So um, it probably took him a lot of time to gain to, to gain that maturity. But but when I saw him race um, at the time when I could really old enough to pay attention, he was he was probably the one that had the most influence on me. Finally, who's the driver in the pits that you love spending time with, but you wouldn't want to date your sister? <laughs> The one that married her. <laughs> um, <sighs> Patrick LaPearl. <Yeah. laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. I think we're two for two on that one. Aren't we, we are. <laughs> yeah. We asked that question twice, and Patrick's been the answer both times. <laughs> well, Quinny married my sister, so that was the one I was more concerned with. But... Oh, good God. Okay, Rocket Man, uh, it's been really good to catch up with you. And yeah, uh, yeah, we we should have planned this better and done it as the 99th episode. But that car from Connecticut well, I, was 96, so this will work. That's true. That's true. Which I look back on it, and he did change his number to 99 when I ran it. Oh yeah. But Pat sent me a picture of it because, like I said, we had a we were beating our heads together trying to figure out what the guy's name was, and we was like, ah, I had no idea. Like I remember everything about it, everything. But I couldn't remember you guys at all. 
It's forever ago, but yeah. God. Okay, buddy. Be well. You too. Thank you. Roger Brown. Thanks again to the rocket. A lot of good stories. And like we mentioned in the open stories you hadn't heard before in terms of, you know, trading his tiger straight up for a late model. Yeah. Um, we mentioned some wrecks we didn't remember. Those are fun stories. And you could tell he, had, you know, has been out of the game and out of the scene, you know, whatever it's been, 10 years. And you could tell he was, he was excited to tell some stories. And it's one of those episodes where I don't think you heard that much from me and Justin. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that because you guys don't come here to hear us. I mean, sometimes we need to get in there to steer the ship, but he was rolling and we could start somewhere and he would go like chronologically kind of hitting the, hitting the right beats. And we just sat back and enjoyed. Yeah. He texted me this morning and he's like, man, I'm sorry. I rambled on so long. And I was like, no, it was friggin' perfect. Like hell yeah. You and I talked about this when we recorded with him um, right at the end of, of that. My immediate reaction was one of my favorite things that we've done is getting the story of him wanting to be looked at in the same way that Cooper McCritchie was when he pulled into Groveton with his tiger car, where everybody was just kind of like, he's going to win tonight. And it took a while, but Roger Brown got there when he pulled into St. Estash the week after the Oxford 250. I thought that was the coolest damn thing. Um, That's the biggest win of your career. And I'm not talking about the 250. I'm talking about the week after. That's amazing. A impressive run, and who knows? I feel like, and maybe we're a little guilty of really trying to kickstart some stuff with a lot of our guests, but uh, did not close the door. If anybody needs a, a wheelman in the seat, give them a call. Listen, we we kind of uh, the stuff I messaged you this morning. Yeah, we, you know, I I'll take credit for that. You should too. That we've we've got a guy coming out of retirement because of the show, and I don't think that the news is out there yet. So I'm not going to ruin it. But um, it's happening this year. They're building a brand new race car for him. It's awesome. We make miracles happen <laughs> on occasion. If We've already want, got our guest lined up for next week, and it's going to be a good one. A multi-time champion and a guy that I don't know if we've ever talked about him on the show or even mentioned his name, um, but absolutely has a great story and uh, really looking forward to that and learning more. I've known the guy for a long time. I don't know if you've ever met him or even seen him race, but um, it's it's going to be, um, going to be interesting. Um, definitely one of the guys who's building a, a case to be a legend up here. If you want to be part of the miracles we produce, you can send us an email, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. We have a couple openings left on this podcast currently, as well as the video stuff we have going on and future projects you can email us about. Also, if you're interested in hopping on board with the No Fouls pod, 
and a new sports order. You can do that through that email as well. Make sure you're following us on all the socials, Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook, Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram. Oh, I love the Instagram, yeah. And if you want to just visit one place that has news about everything we're doing, it's Uncommon Media VT on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the above. And the YouTubes. And the YouTubes. We got a couple uh, pop-up videos up there. More to come. We were just talking about that last night. Uh, so and keep you can an eye out. relive the Milk Bowl live show. That is up there as well. Good times. Yeah. That about right, wraps buddy. up uh, this episode. We will be back next week. Like Justin said, we might even already know who the guest is. I say Mike because it hasn't actually been recorded yet. And well, right. We've been Hope, burned. Hopefully, you, hopefully you get taller this week, Tom. It should. Uh, it should happen. You know, um, thirty. Damn, how thirty-six years old? I'm gonna get taller this week, <laughs> at least in my wife's eyes. Yeah. This has been a production of Uncommon Media. <laughs>